You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersLittleAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim live in Green Bay. We got Carly Ray in Wisconsin as well uh, here to talk a little Packers offseason. I know we covered a lot of information last night, went way over on PTA Live. And uh, it's funny, we didn't even get to everything we wanted to cover. So I've got to do a better job of being organized. And, uh, and making sure we're not trying to do too much in one episode. But I'll tell you, you start crunching these numbers, looking at the dates coming up, it's going to come at us fast. It's hard not to get excited. But, Tim, how you doing this morning, buddy? Feeling good, man. Got the diesel going, you know, ready to roll. Happy to talk uh, Packers, you know, as always. Absolutely. Carly, how about you? Oh, I think we lost Carly. Oh, Carly said I'm done already. I don't have time for this. So. <laughs> she may be back. Anyway, let's uh let's kind of talk into uh, dive into some news here. Let's talk a little news around the north. Uh, Tom Pelissero tweeted this out. The Bears are working towards a deal to hire Shane Waldron as their new offensive coordinator per sources. Waldron, 44 years old, spent the past three seasons as Seattle's OC. Now he's expected to land in Chicago, which owns the number one pick with a big question looming. At quarterback. So Shane Waldron is it's it's looking like typically when a report like this comes out and they're working towards the deal, Tom Pelissero is getting that information either from the team, the agent, the the team, the coach's agent or both. Right. Uh, Usually you don't get to this stage and it not fall into place. Now, there's a chance it could fall apart. Very, very slim. But Shane Waldron, I think it's a good hire for Chicago. He's a guy who brings experience. Um, he's in that age group too, around 44, where he's not too old, not too young. He's going to have respect to the players. He's had success where he's gone. You know, he, he basically took Geno Smith and uh, and completely revitalized his career in Seattle. I know he got fired this year. Um, the whole the whole staff kind of got let go, to the best of my knowledge, um, up there with Pete Carroll. But he's someone that they plucked out of the L.A. Rams system, if I remember correctly. So the thing that I noticed, the first thing that comes to mind for me for Shane Waldron is when I was breaking down all the offenses last year, I don't know if you guys remember me doing that exercise, but I basically got tired of hearing everybody say, this isn't Matt LaFleur's offense, this isn't Matt LaFleur's offense. 
And I went through and broke down everything. And uh, they, you know, people were saying they wanted Kyle Shanahan's offense. That's what it's supposed to be. And I was trying to make the point that this isn't Kyle Shanahan's offense. This is Sean McVay's offense. Sean McVay, all those guys came up together. But, you know, as you start to branch off your your system, the terminology is the same and all that. But it doesn't mean you're going to mold your roster or even your play calling around the current roster of 21 personnel, 11 personnel, what have you. Sean McVay leans more on 11 personnel because that's the type of players he had in, in LA, we've talked about that at nauseum, right? He, he, he said in, in the play college, he said, you know, I was trying to lean on 21, but I looked up and I looked up on the bench. I was trying to lean on 21 and 12. And I looked up at the bench and I'm going, what the heck is Cooper cup doing on the bench? Like I'm, I'm an idiot. So he shifted to 11 personnel. And of course you got Matt LaFleur coming from there and taking the job in green Bay. So he's more along the, what we call um, what they, what they refer to as single back wide zone. Is, is what you would refer to his, you know, all of it is wide zone boot. You're looking to set up the boot action off the wide zone run, but everyone has evolved. You know, when when Aaron Rodgers was winning those back-to-back MVPs, what were they leaning on? RPO heavy. Yep. That, that's, not, that's not a Kyle Shanahan special. That's something that kind of took over the league. Now, you've seen us tone the RPO back this year. Why? Because last year defense has caught on. So with Shane Waldron, what I noticed when I did that exercise to him was, a lot of spread, 11 person. He would run 12 spread too, but I remember the first week I turned on the tape and I'm like, all right, let's see what Shane Waldron's do. Very first snap, empty 11. <laughs> I was like, and everyone's telling me that we're refusing to run Shanahan's offense, and here Shane Waldron is literally running an empty empty offense essentially. Uh, not you know, not the large majority of the time, but a good chunk of it more than most. So I'm sure he's evolved. I haven't dove into the numbers of his offense this year. So I'm sure he's evolved and maybe he's gotten back to 12, you know, 12 ace looks and, and traditionally running the football. Who knows? But I think it's a good hire. What do you think about this hire, Tim? What's, yeah, what's I mean, you know, it's a change. Change is uh, something that the Bears are used to. It happens often. And, uh, you know, one thing that won't change. The Bears still suck. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, but, you know, I think it's a good hire. thrown into the earth, Tim. yeah we'll see what happens um you know it's uh something to keep an eye on and uh i'm sure this will be i mean pelicero's running with the story so this will be probably confirmed today or tomorrow or something like that so um gives us uh something to look at here in our division um maybe a different look for that bears offense next year yeah um, Josh Martin with the super chat says, Hey, at least we're not the only team with a kicker who sucks under pressure. Isn't it funny how all these kickers missing these big kicks, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, it's not, it's not out of the norm. Like we put oh. these unrealistic expectations on kickers as if they're supposed to hit 95% of their kicks and it just doesn't happen. Or, or right. easy. Easy. It's easy to kick. Oh, you're just kicking. You're just kicking the ball through yeah, the just do your job. Yeah, and uh, you saw that game last night. I'll tell you what, as a guy who's kicked a couple footballs back when I had legs underneath me, um, I'll tell you, kicking on a wet carpet outside doesn't sound fun. I've always said that the only thing dumber than turf is turf outdoors, you know, and I can just imagine what uh, was going through his head. But, you know, it is. It's one of those things, man. It's just as much mental as it is the physical attributes. And to defend my kickers, if you'll notice – a lot of these kicks that we've seen, including Anders Carlson's that were misses, were misses by, you know, like this much. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's not like in a driving range. These kicks and they're just disasters. 
you know, we're talking about, you know, we've heard that football's a game of inches and uh, that applies certainly to the kickers too. So um, yeah, tough one, tough one for the bills, man. That game had uh, gave me PTSD from our Packer game, <laughs> just watching them. Uh, it was kind of the same deal uh, trying to get Kansas city out of there, but um, Hey, here we go. Kansas city in the AFC championship again. Yeah. Go Ravens. Yeah. Um, again, Josh, thank you so much for the super chat, buddy. We appreciate you. Doug in the chat says fire all the kickers. <laughs> love, love the sarcasm this morning. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, number one Packer fan. The Bears fans are already claiming they are winning y'all next year. LOL. I'm like, you sure about that? You sure about that? <laughs> you sure about that? I appreciate their passion. I really do. And and there's some good Bears fans out there. There are. But there's some obnoxious ones that, man, there is no shame every single year. They've got the, this may be the year. Listen, it may be. We don't know, right? I'm just saying, bro, how many years in a row, how many decades in a row are you going to tweet this stuff out? And then when we pointed out, hey, bro, you got that one wrong again, it's just like, well, this is the year. Okay, I got you. I never want this podcast to be like that. I don't want it to just be, all right, man, we're set. We're going we're gonna to take the whole thing. You know, I want it to be, what were the what are the adjustments that need to be made? What were the adjustments that were made? Then you get the game day. It's okay. What happened? Why did it happen? Point out the negative. Point out the positive, too. Try to learn from it and understand exactly why the game ended up the way it did and, and why the roster ended up the way it did. So, um I appreciate the passion. That's all. I, that's all I got as far as being positive. Don't want to be Krabby Clayton today. All right, uh, Zane Strong in the chat said, "What changes do you think we need to make this offseason?" You know, Zane, we kind of started on it last night. It it all it all begins with re-signing players. You got to look at your current free agent pool from your roster that's set to hit free agency, uh, unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, exclusive rights free agents, the whole nine yards, and say, okay. Who do we need to add back to the team? And the approach I took last night, and I don't know if I conveyed conveyed it well enough, but I went through some of the data that I think is important and said, okay, do they meet the criteria or at least the qualifications to say, okay, they're worth bringing back? And then if they are worth bringing back, at what price, right? And just to kind of recap real quick what we came up with, um, we said Bo Melton, you know, he's obviously an exclusive rights-free agent. He'll be back, right? Uh, AJ Dillon, I said it at three, uh, or the market was at three and a half million. I think it, by the end of it, I was like, I was okay with three and a half million. I know some aren't. That's okay. His market value is three and a half million. Keyshawn Nixon, we said it at four million. That's pretty much what he got paid this last year. It wasn't cap hit because they used some uh, some voidable years. But um, Keyshawn Nixon at four million, him being the best kick returner in the game. Um, I think uh, I think that's important. I think it is. I mean, we're so quick to go. All right, guys, let's just. We don't need to spend money there now. Let's clean up. I love hearing them say, "Let's clean up the cap. Let's clean up the cap. Let's let's sit there with twenty million in cap space every year and not and not compete for a Super Bowl. That's fun, right? Um, that stuff drives me absolutely bonkers. But Keyshawn Nixon, actually, uh, I can't remember if this was after the game or if it was just yesterday when they were doing their exit interviews, cleaning out the locker or what have have you. But I love what he says right here, Tim. There's a little bit of language, guys, so be ready for this. Okay, if you got kids in a room, earmuff it for us. Um, and uh, this is Keyshawn at his locker. And I love how he just – you could tell that this team means a lot to him and the organization too, and I think it goes a long way. But here's uh, the all-pro kick returner, Keyshawn Nixon. Time that the Packers meant to Man, that shit mean everything to me, man. Uh, I fly, I grew so much as a person more than just a football player. The moment I signed my contract and put, put that G on my helmet, man, it mean everything. And – uh. They pour everything into me and this organization, and I pour everything back into them. And uh, two all pros later, 
Love it. Love That's it. So, my cornerback. <laughs> Drew D says, "Got to bring, got to bring Nixon back." Jen Wright says, "I love Nixon." Same here. And you know, I'm sure there are some people that are going, "Yeah, but Clayton, we we need a better nickel." I don't disagree with that. I don't. You can upgrade the nickel position, but if you've got someone who now has experience, right? If you. I just seen a comment I had to crack up about it. CL said, can't believe we're still talking about the kicker, right, Clayton? It's unbelievable, <laughs> but here we are. Um, it, when you uh, And I love how you brung it up to get me back to talking about the kicker, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he, listen, would you would you be okay with Keyshawn Nixon being the backup nickel? I know I would, right? The $4 million, the value in $4 million comes from him being the best kick returner in the game. And I know the rules have shifted a little bit, so maybe that does drive his price down, right? They let him test the market last year, if I remember correctly. And then it's when we locked Rich Bisacci in to come back, right? That's when you really felt good about him coming back. If, if Rich Bisacci had taken a head coaching job somewhere else, which he had gotten a couple interviews, if I remember correctly, Key probably would have followed him because they're locked at the hip, right? So um, with that being said, you go, okay, well, what about his him being kind of vulnerable at the nickelback position? One of the things – I'm trying to explain how I fan here. When I fan, I don't look at – I want the guy who makes the flashy play. You you guys are probably caught on to that, right? I want the people who are going to play schematically sound to build the floor of your organization. I don't want a whole bunch of high RAS guys. I don't want, a, I don't want a guy who's going to get 12 sacks and half the amount of pressures that someone who's going to get, you know what I mean, uh, eight sacks and double the amount of pressures because the goal is to affect the game as consistently as possible. To me, the way I look at sacks and pressures is think of it like from a statistical standpoint. Saying you would rather have a guy with with more sacks than this player, but significant, I mean significantly less pressures, would be the equivalent to saying, I want a quarterback who threw two touchdowns in the game instead of zero, but the trade-off is I would rather only score 14 points than 21 because the game plan was geared around and they're – the other team's defense was vulnerable in against the running game, right? So it, it's to me, it's more situational. And that's why it's so important to watch the tape. It's so important to understand the game flow. It, it under, some people think watching the tape is catching a highlight and then looking at the technique, all that was a cool move. What I mean by watching the tape is understanding the flow of the game. Why did that happen in that specific situation? There were some great throws that Jordan Love made this year that never made my Chalk Talk episodes. Yep. It was on a drive that meant nothing. But, man, it's flashy. It looks cool. I don't care. It had no bearing on the game whatsoever. I'd rather us come away going, these are the 15 plays that really impacted the outcome of the game, right? So one of the stats that I put a lot of stock in with, uh, with corners is bus percentage, right? And what bus percentage is, it's exactly what it sounds like. When you go to SIS and you break down the, the data as far as DBs, um, in coverage and, and and really just all the way across the board, there's several different statistical uh, you know categories within you know specific positions that you can look at the bus percentage and the positive percentage or positive percentage. So essentially, what it is is how many percentage of plays do they come out with a positive uh, you know points, basically result. So when you go to bus percentage, it's totally the opposite. How often is it a bus? They gave up a huge play, like a a. I think it was in the negatives, if you will, on the negative side of zero, is uh, I believe what the bust is. Matter of fact, I don't have the glossary pulled up. I don't have the bus pulled up because I went on something else. But like positive percentage, to give you an example, percentage of plays with expected points added above zero. So I'm pretty sure that the bus was um, expected points added 
underneath zero. So essentially what your bust percentage is telling you is how good is that, that player at not giving up big plays, at not just completely blowing the play up, which you guys know to me is the most important aspect of defense. If you if you can't control the bust plays, I could give two craps how good you are at the just crazy positive plays because you're going to chase your tail all year long. You've seen it all the way across the league. Keyshawn Nixon's bust percentage, minimum 10 targets, okay, because there were some in there with one or two targets. And obviously, minimum 10, to me, 10 targets is pretty low in itself, so I feel like it's a, it's a large enough sample size. He finished 40th in the league amongst all cornerbacks, okay, at 13.3% bust percentage. That surprised me because there was a couple times during the season I was like, man, he's, he's giving up some big plays, you know, Tim? So, with that being said, though, him being the 40th best corner, that's of all corners. That's not just nickel corner. That's all corners. So what does that tell you? Most of the time, large majority of the time, offenses are in 11 personnel, which forces defenses to be in nickel. And sometimes dime if you play defense like the Dallas Cowboys do. So you're having at least three cornerbacks on the field at all times. Three times 32 is what? 66? Am I thinking right, Tim? No. No, that's not right. 96. There you go. So – of the top 96, if you're within the top 96 and you're what's deemed as starting caliber at any given statistic that you're trying to sort by position, he's coming in 40th. What that tells you is in bust percentage, he's grading out as a solid number two corner, although he is the third best corner on the roster, meaning he's just going to play that slot position. You've got to be careful comparing those numbers because it is important to, to sort and filter by slot corner because that's his specific assignment. But Tim, that surprised me, man. 13.3% bust percentage, 40th best in the league uh, with a minimum of 10 targets. So uh, $4 million sounds great to me, bro. I, I think so, too. And I and hearing the way he talks about being here, you know, I don't think um, I don't think it's going to be a difficult negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is kind of like, uh, let's make it make sense. Let's not uh, make an insulting offer or a lowball offer. And uh, he probably stays, right? Yeah, absolutely. Drew D in the chat said, Nixon got us that big play to set up a touchdown as well. How can we get rid of him after he stepped up in the playoffs? It's huge. And he's one of those guys that, yes, he made mistakes this year, but I didn't feel like it was the the moment was too big for him, right? Right. In those crunch situations. The only play that comes to mind is the play against the Giants where he gave up like a 32-yarder that set up the game-winning field goal, right? But it's hard for me to blame him on that because right. he's playing press man in that situation. It's like we know he's not a press man corner. And that was, I think, the coaching staff kind of giving in to the fans a little bit, like we need to play more man coverage. And you got torched. It is what it is, you know. You got you got beat on a double move and and it, it costs you the game. That's the only play I can really think of, though. Yeah, you know, yeah. and great I'm sure that went into it. Sorry to cut you off, Clayton. Great, great point by uh, Drew to say to say you know he stepped up in the playoffs. That's what mm-hmm. you know the great players do. The, the moment's not too big for them. They they actually play better. You know they they thrive in those situations. And uh, Keyshawn certainly fits the mold, man. That's a that's a big primetime type of guy. And um, you need pieces like that, um, especially on your defense, man. Yeah. The only thing that worries me about Keyshawn Nixon, um, as far as you know, possibly bringing him back, I love his attitude. I think he's a good locker room guy. I think his teammates love him. I think he's a spark plug. I think he's – you haven't heard him complain openly and, and go at the coaches like some players seem to have at times. Um, he's everything you want in a pro. He's just he, – he's not, you know, that, that starting caliber, right? He's not that, you know I, – I don't think anyone would consider him a top-ten slot corner in the league, right? But 
when you look at the bus percentage and playing within the system, I think you can tolerate it. What worries me, Tim, if he does hit the market and someone looks at that kick return ability and goes, you know what, let's give him $8 million. Let's give him $6 yeah. million. That's going to get tough. You know, you're probably going to let him walk at a certain extent. What's the number for Goody? And just based off of how he sounded just now in the locker room or that little interview that happened in the last couple of days, I kind of feel like that communication's already opened up. It feels yeah. like he's going to be back. So maybe they go to him and say, hey, man, you did good. You did, uh, you know, you you didn't – I don't think he met his interception uh, goal that, uh, that tr- would trigger more money, you know, obviously. Uh, that we highlighted last offseason that was kind of intertwined into his contract negotiation. But uh, maybe you throw a little more incentive at him this year and go, hey, same interception total. Let's say it was three interceptions to get you another million, right? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then maybe they go to him and say, hey, let's up that. Let's go with the same $4 million base cap hit, right? Um, just like I said, generally speaking, and say, I know last year we said, and I don't know the exact number. I'm just kind of going off cuff here. I know last year we said, uh, you know, an extra million for three interceptions. What if we gave you an extra two million for three interceptions this year? Right. That would be a little more intriguing. Right. So little things like that might keep them in house. And it's why it's important to. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. How you negotiate with the players. And another thing that comes to mind, too, is, you know, remember when Jason Wildy reported that players were upset with the comments that Goody made, that it was a, it, it was too good of an offer. He couldn't pass up on it, right? When it talked about trading Rasul, these situations right here, 
is sometimes when that stuff can come into play. Like I remember mm-hmm. what he said. He don't he don't value the players, you know. Not that anyone looks at Goody that way. It sounds to me by Keyshawn's demeanor, they have a good working relationship. So that's good. But I'm just trying to go back to that moment and be like, that's kind of what we're talking about as far as players possibly getting upset and not wanting to work with the front office for making comments like that. Um I respect Goody that he trusted his instinct in trading Rasul. I think we would all agree it was a bad move at this point, just simply because Rasul balled out. And he was he's still to this day, I've got him in the red on here. Uh, according to PFF, he was our third highest graded defensive player this year when he was on our roster at a 75.2. So I think we would all agree, you know, getting a third-round pick for him, granted you're going to shave money off next year, right? Not this year, but next year. Um, can be a little tough, but uh, – same time, who knows, man? Maybe Goody's got a a master plan, right? So, uh, let's see. Jen, uh, Jen in the chat said Nixon improved over the season. His upside with uh, returning makes it worth it. Completely agree. So I think we're pretty much unanimous there. Bring Key back for the right price. What do you think would be? We can move on after this, Tim. What would be your maximum? that you would pay key? That's a tough question. And I, I'm putting you on the spot because I'm sitting there going, I don't know what mine would be. <laughs> you know I don't I mean? know, but like you said, if he if he tests the market and, you know, we're getting north of that six, seven million, you know, eight million per, I don't know. Like you said, how do we how do we come close to that? Now, does does Keyshawn take a little bit of a, a hit on the contract to stay here? Because, you know, kind of echoing what he just said about what Green Bay means to him and what the organization has done for him and how he feels about being a Packer, you know, is, is that worth, you know, a million bucks off your, you know, contract staying here for maybe a million or two less. I don't know. Um, I'd put mm-hmm. him somewhere, you know, I don't know the max six million, five and a half million, something like that. I don't like to play GM. Um, math is hard. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, I'm emotionally connected to this team and, you know, that really has no business in a, in a contract negotiation. So I'm probably not the best guy to ask because my gut is give them 20 million. I don't care. Bring them back. You know, that's how, how I feel in my heart. Uh, But when we have to look at this objectively, it gets tough. You're right. Because there's going to be, you know, we talk about players that, Oh, is there a market for him? Is there a market for, for this guy? Keyshawn, there's definitely a market for and that's why you get a little nervous about him, you know, dipping his his toes in the pool there and and testing the market because somebody could throw a truckload of money at the guy. And, uh, you know, money talks. It's, at the end of the day, it is a business. You know, we fan with our hearts, but, you know, this is a business. So um, and you want you want a guy to get paid. Right. You know, that's what they work hard for. You're putting your body on the line uh, every single day. You know, young, young players want that contract. They want to get paid. And, and, and I fully support that and respect that and understand it. Um, but I think you do what you can and you go as high as you can, whatever that threshold is. Right. You know, you know, Goody's got a hard line. He's probably got a list of this roster and these guys that we need to talk to about contracts. And there probably is. There's probably a, a concrete number that we cannot go over. Um, and I think we just, you know, we got to get do the best we can to get uh Keyshawn, you know, to stay here, but also not break our bank. You know, it's tough. Definitely. Yeah, I like I'm going to go to the chat here and see what they have to say about it, too. I I do want to say, Jen, thank you for that chat. And if I understood correctly, unless someone was pulling my leg, it is Miss Jen's birthday today. Happy birthday, Jen. So have an awesome day. We appreciate you hanging out with us here on this glorious morning. So uh, Carly Ray says, think 
Um, think it's good. I think she, let's see, she had the comment underneath it. Yeah, think it. Think it could be problematic to offer money for more interceptions uh, if it is if it possibly makes Nixon focus more on creating interceptions than playing scheme. If he gets the interception, great. But if he screws up, dot dot dot. I think that's a fair uh, a fair comment, Carly. But that's where you got to know your locker room. You got to know your guys. You know they got to know first and foremost. Say what's you know it's like a quarterback. If he's got an incentive and the play call is to is to run the clock out. Well, I need I need 16 more passing yards and I hit my incentive. If quarterback's willing to go out there and do that, you know, and on defense, it's a whole different ball game, right? Um, they got to, it's so important to play within the scheme. I don't think he's that guy. I don't feel like we've seen that this year. And there were already incentives in his contract for interceptions. You know what I'm saying? So right. I think it's a fair question, a fair comment, but uh, I don't think we have to worry about that with Keyshawn for sure. Uh, Derek K says about three and a half million is what he's saying. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, Reef says five to six million. Um, Randy Cleavers says four point five million, and then Maki says three million, and Roger's share of the <laughs> of the Milwaukee. <laughs> Love that one, Mikey. That's hilarious. Mikey's the man. Good to see you in here, buddy. Appreciate you. Um, yeah, so you know the number we're kind of coming up with him is uh, is somewhere between three and a half to five million, right? So you know maybe don't go north of five and let him walk after that. Um, I, I think we'll. From that is maybe with just anything north of four, you know. Right. Yeah. There you go. Zane Strong says Valentine and Valentine is the future. Um, not at the slot position. Neither of them have played it, right? No. So uh, and also they're not all pro kick returners, right? So um as far as them on the boundary, I kind of agree with you. Um yeah. and, and Ja when he's healthy, yes, great. And he seems to be the old Jair now, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I think we're good there. So someone's going to get cut out of that mix, right? Um, probably be Valentine, obviously, with yeah. Val playing so it's much. It's not going to be CV. No way. Yeah. Um, one of the other players on that that free agent list for the Packers is Darnell Savage, and I wanted to point this out real quick. Well, a couple of them. Jonathan Owens, here you go. We talked about Jonathan Owens last night, right, and uh, how, uh, according to the 33rd team, he was the fourth highest defensive player for the Packers with 28 or with 27 total points, right? Jonathan Owens, when you go to the PFF side, they weren't, they didn't have him on the top 10 list as far as the Packers. Um, But when you go to special teams, right? um, Jonathan Owens is actually the ninth highest graded special teams player at 68.4. So you got value in special teams. You got value according to the 33rd team. And you guys, I just explained bus percentage. I want to explain it again, what it means. I went and looked up his bus percentage And for Jonathan Owens, it was 10.5%. And that's 18th best in the league amongst safeties. So you've got two safeties that start. I think we would all agree, even in a base defense, you got two safeties on the field, right? So that's 64 to be a starting caliber. And the top 64 would make you a starting caliber safety. He's 18th. So he's a solid number one safety when it comes to bus percentage. That doesn't mean he's a solid number one safety overall. I'm just saying from a – Hey, look, keep everything in front of you. Let's play this safe approach. He played pretty good in that regard. So need to keep that in mind. Um, with that being said, Tim, he's kind of on par with Keyshawn Nixon in that regard. And we talked about, I think the number that we put on Jonathan Owens, we uh, put about one and a half million. If you get him for one and a half million, I think you bring Jonathan Owens back. I really do. And another guy that might sign, you know, a one or two year deal, not, not a super long-term commitment. Right. Right. Um, if we're looking, uh, you know, we know how this league is, right? What have you done for me lately? You know, let's load up and win now. Um, 
So, you know, when you're trying to build a young team and you're looking ahead to the future, we need little pieces like that, right? Guys that are willing to maybe be year to year and reevaluate. Um, you know, I like JL. I do. And I, I think it's worth it to, uh, to try and keep them. Um, but we can't go crazy with the, with the contract for sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Jonathan Owens, again, 10 and a half uh, percent bus percentage. And then you had, uh, like I said, that's 18th best amongst safeties. So uh, pretty solid there. Darnell Savage comes in at 12.5%. Uh, that's 31st best. So from bus percentage, those guys are grading out pretty good. Now I went to Rudy Ford, my boy, Rudy Ford, president of the Rudy Ford fan club right here, right? 20%, that's 66th best. So PFF has Rudy Ford. Uh, they held him in pretty high regard, right? The third, actually, uh, 33rd team has Rudy Ford at 28 total points. He made some huge plays, but according to SIS data, had a high bus percentage too there, uh, which obviously wouldn't even be starting caliber across the entire National Football League at bus percentage. So kind of shows you now, battled some injuries, right? And li listen, you guys know, if you've listened to this pod, you know I love Rudy Ford. So this is what I mean by you've got to accept the information for what it is. When I look at that and I go, okay, even when he was healthy, we couldn't figure out why he wasn't playing, right? And then you go to the SIS data and it shows his bus percentage is 66th in the league. There's there that might provide your answer. There you go. Maybe the coaches are looking at it like, dude, if you're not if you're not going to play fundamentally sound, we're going with this guy. Could be the case. I don't know. And with that being said, maybe Rudy Ford doesn't get re-signed. Or if he does, they let him completely test the market. And he might, we might be the only offer for him, right? Um, we had it set at two million. So uh, with that bus percentage, does that bring that number down a little bit? And are you willing to let him walk for, you know, a, a difference of five hundred k? You know what I mean? At one and a half million, whatever. So they'll probably let him test the market. Uh, I thought that was interesting though, because it felt like something was a little off. Remember, they wouldn't name him safety coming out of training camp too, Tim. You remember that? Yep. Kind of makes you think maybe he's playing a little reckless behind the scenes. I don't know. Not trying to create a rumor. Again, you guys know how I feel about Rudy Ford. But if you see it, you got to say it. And that's what the that's what the analytics are showing there from the bus percentage standpoint. So uh, I thought that was interesting. That's why you want to do these exercises, because you find those little wrinkles and go, hmm, maybe that makes sense now. Maybe that's why they were going that route. So um, another thing Drew D points out, which is really important. He says, I think Rudy is in trouble with his age and they will bring someone in at safety. I think now is the best time, right? Now is the best time to bring in um, – a solid rookie safety and say, all right, this is the safety of the future, or maybe a free agent, which we're going to dive into free agency. We are, we got to get past this stage first. Right. And, and there's going to be plenty of people already highlighting free agents. You can go Google it, I'm sure. And there'll be multiple YouTube videos on it. I just want to make sure we do things in order as the dates kind of fall into place. But I think you're right, Drew, his age is definitely going to play a factor. If I were to pull up that free agent list again, uh, Jonathan Ford, there he is 28.1. Yeah. So, um, 28 years old, getting a little bit longer in the tooth is hilarious thinking that's old, but man, in football, it is Tim, you're coming up on that, that ledge, you know, for the, uh, some yeah. of the greats can play beyond the 30 yard or the 30 year mark, obviously. But, uh, if you're a, just a good to or an average to good player above average to good player typically drops off there at 30. So, um, all right. And you know, it's, it's a fact, right? I mean, as you get older, you're naturally going to be more prone to injury. You know, you're not, you're not 22, 23, 24 anymore. You're, getting closer to 30 a little yeah. easier to, for the body to break down on you absolutely um tim i i haven't looked this up yet i'm gonna see if i can pull it up sis is it takes a minute to load because there's so much data in here 
But if I were to go to pass defense, I'm going to try to find a, see where Anthony Johnson Jr. is as far as bus percentage. And I think I did what I do, minimum of 10 targets. So I'll top this in. Um, how do you feel about Anthony Johnson Jr. in his rookie year? Because I believe PFF had him had him rated kind of low. I know he didn't make our top 10 list, and SI or uh, 33rd team didn't have him listed as top four either. Actually, I could probably do this to help you out real quick. Um, let me pull up. You may have to look really, really close because it's a very small font. But I've got the total points per game according to uh, according to the 33rd team there. So if you want to take a look, we'll see if we can find him. Anthony Johnson Jr., there he is. He's sitting at, what, point, point 0.9 points per game as far as how he graded out. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, right around 14th on the defense. So not very good according to – the point system with the 33rd team. And like I said, PFF wasn't kind to him either. I'll see if I can find the bus percentage, but what do you think yeah. about uh, Anthony Johnson, Gene? I think it's just a, an, an example of, you know, most rookies aren't, aren't good. We talked about this last night. It, it does happen. Um, and I think Anthony Johnson Jr. Certainly had some rookie mistakes this year. Um, you know, kind of just taking us back to that San Francisco game here. You know, you saw him bite down, cost us a tutter. You know, he had, he had, um, you know, deep responsibilities on a play. And he bit on a on an RPO fake by Purdy and dropped down into an area that, you know, we didn't need him and cre- created space on the back end. That's a rookie mistake, right? Right. Um, however, he's a rookie who's got playoff experience now, like a lot of these other guys. And when I look at, I don't know, when I see him out there and the way he plays, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds, man, he's built like a safety. Um, he's athletic. Um, he plays with fire. You talk about some of the same things we said about Keyshawn Nixon. I see that in Ant Johnson for sure. Um, but he's a young player and development's going to come and development happens on the field, you know? And, uh, I think he's a piece we can uh, build around. I'd be willing to guess just not looking at the numbers. I know you're looking them up. The bus percentage was probably higher than we'd like. Um, but it's important to remember that, uh, you know, how old is Anthony Johnson Jr.? 20, 22, 23? Very young, very young. Right. So this is a guy you want to you want to keep around and you want to keep him in the mix. And maybe that, you know, maybe that lends credence to the logic of let's just go young back there all the way across the board, you know, and, yeah. and we put this talent back there and try and develop the back end. Because regardless of I mean, if you look at what we had now, we've had some veterans sprinkled in there and we've you know complained about the safety room forever. So. Right. Maybe it's time for a change uh, or maybe you keep a veteran piece and then you draft and, and build around that. Um, but I think Anthony Johnson Jr. has a has a bright future in Green Bay. That's a guy I've had my eye on since camp back in August. And mm-hmm. um, I think he's going to he's going to end up playing a huge role in this defense in the future. Um, we just we just need to let him develop. Yeah. And I couldn't find his bus percentage. There is a ton. I mean, a ton of data in this site. I'm sure they have to cut it off at some point. So maybe his bus percentage is so high they don't even have it listed. I don't know. But I could not find it there. I even sorted by Packers and safety, unless, of course, they might have accidentally listed him at corner. Let me uh, check that real quick. I don't think they would have, but let's just see. Um, No, he's not in the system for whatever reason. So need to kind of try to find that, too. And PFF would probably be our best way of getting a a true feel of how he played, um, seeing that we've got the – We've got the 33rd team data. They weren't too kind to them, too. Let's uh, let's take a quick peek at PFF and see if we can look into some of the details of what he did well, what he didn't do well. I know we could pull up the uh, the image here. I'll do it real quick. PFF team, 
spam if you want to try to find him there, Tim. And you can drop a comment down if you need to. But let me uh, type him in here and see kind of where he rated. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing to remember um, with Ant is uh, he can't have extremely high snap counts. I mean, how many snaps did this guy play? It could be a factor, yeah. I, I feel like he played more than some people believe he did, but I'm with you. It's like he definitely didn't play as much as some of the other safeties. So, um, 334, is that what I'm seeing here towards the bottom? 33 on the list. Um, yeah, here we go. I found him. Uh, 334, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, his defensive grade, 47.9. Um, coverage grade, 53.9. Right. Run, run defense Low grade. Low grade, Yeah. 37.7 run defense grade. Like I said, it looks like a rookie, right? I mean, seventh round pick too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's give him uh let's give him time. Let's uh, patience is a virtue here. Yeah, let's, but I don't think anybody's looking at him. Uh, and I think that's kind of what the listeners are asking there. I don't think anybody's looking at Anthony Johnson Jr. like, hey, he is the answer, right? At safety. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying he is. I'm just yeah. saying he's the piece that we that we want to keep there and yeah. um, you know, put some guys around him. You know, rotation is not just something we're going to do with our with our D line and our edge guys, right? We, you know, we can rotate guys in across the board on yeah. that defense. So, for sure. Um, as far as uh, NFL draft talk, uh, obviously this was released yesterday. Matt Schneiden had quote tweeted Dane Brugler. Um, so uh, the Packers have it's officially locked in. We have the 25th pick in the 2024 draft. Other things are getting sorted out, I would imagine. We don't have the exact list. I started to pull it up, but it's it's already changed a little bit and things were shuffling around and you got other teams still playing. There's trades. I'm sure there's draft pick trades that are involved with that too that's going to make things shift around. So we're just going to kind of stick with this right now. But we are picking 25th um, in the draft this year. That's kind of that spot where I am the most boring draft uh, uh, you know, analyst on the face of the earth. If you get outside of the top tier of talent, Tim, and it, listen, it's going to the current tier of talent is going to come into play, whether you want to trade back or not. But typically I get out of when you get out of those, quote unquote, generational talents toward the top of the draft. I'm I'm team trade back, trade back. Every time you trade back, you shave money off the cap and you pick up extra picks right now. If you find yourself in a situation where you're picking 25th and here you're, you're sitting 25th and you've got, you know, uh, just two players in your current top tier of talent. Right. And uh, you're going, okay, I know both those guys are going to be gone by the time we pick or by the time we trade out, maybe you pull the trigger. Right. But, and it could be something too, where they have a player that falls to them and it's their top tier. You heard Detroit talk about that. They talked about several players that they took. I think they said their first three picks were all in their top tier of talent and everybody laughed at them. And now they're playing in the NFC championship. So I don't think anybody's laughing now. People were laughing at the Jameer Gibbs draft pick. I don't think they're laughing now. They laughed at the Sam Laporte. You never took a tight end that high. What are you doing? They're not laughing now. Arguably a top three tight end in the league this year. And then, of course, Jack Campbell. I don't know if he's panned out as well. But those top two, man, I remember people bagging on them. And I I was sitting there going, I like both of those prospects. (laughs) Like I kind of kept my mouth shut and stayed in the weeds. But I'm like, I don't understand the issue with it. You're trying to make your team better. And those are attitude guys, too. That's the key prospects, right? You talk about draft picks, they're prospects. You know, you you hope that they produce, but you don't know. You really don't know. And I've always been someone who says that I I don't care where you're drafted. How many times have we seen first round picks turn out to be, you know, booty cheeks, right? So Mm -hmm. the proof is in the pudding. And and, uh, 
again, are you being drafted by a team that's going to throw you out onto the field right away? Like we did with Quay Walker in his rookie year. You know, this guy is drafted and boom, throw him into the fire. You're the dude, green dot, you know, let's go. A lot mm-hmm. of guys, they they do need time to develop. So, you know, it's a crapshoot really is this whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Mano in the chat says, uh, Clayton, if you hit control and scroll your mouse button, you can zoom in on the web page enlarging font. Uh, font. Uh, the problem is that's a screenshot, Mano. Um, that's not me actually pulling the side up. So uh, uh, one of the things we try to do to keep the system clean here is we, we're not live sharing those. That's me. I pull those screenshots and then just upload them because if you've got another window open, and zooming in on stuff, it's going to slow the stream down. It'll get spotty. It'll get choppy at times. So um, appreciate the advice there. I'll definitely look into it and see if we can, uh, you know, uh, do that moving forward. I'm going to make a note here. That'll be to zoom in. That might may help us moving forward. But right now, these are just screenshots. So that's why we can't zoom in on that. We're just simply saying it. I can zoom in. on. I can do it on my screen and zoom in. But you guys won't see me zooming in because it's a screenshot within the system, if that makes sense. So. But I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much. Um, now, it's all good, dude. I, I didn't know that you could do that anyway, so you may have just unlocked something for us. I, <laughs> like the mad scientist over the redneck trying to figure out this NASA computer that I paid way too much money for. So anyway, um, let's look at the offseason dates. I think this is important to keep our finger on the pulse here. Um, January, let's just start right here at the top. Let's go to January 28th. That's when the AFC-NFC championship, obviously, um, uh, is uh, is played the, the championship game. We get beyond that. You get the Pro Bowl February 4th. You get the Super Bowl February 11th. Then February 20th, it says beginning this date through 4 p.m. New York time on March 5th, clubs may designate franchise or transition players. So you're going to see the franchise tags start to come in beginning February 20th, and they have to be in by March 5th. Okay. So uh, just to kind of, that's the next step in this process. You'll see, because you've got a bunch of players who are going to be free agents. And it's, the question is, but they may franchise tag them, right? They're, I, I would venture to say that 99%, if not all of the free agents, none of them have been franchise tagged twice. Therefore, they can be franchise tagged. So there's no sense in getting too caught up in free agency until right. we get those franchise tags in and really know who's available. Now, uh, with that being said, the scouting combine will kick off February 27th through March the 4th. And then, uh, like I said, on uh, March the 5th, that's that's that deadline for the uh, fran- uh, franchise and transition tags and all that. March 11th, I think, is when the free agency period actually starts. Okay, so – Put that in perspective, what we got coming up, um, February 20th would be the next uh, really, really important date, if you will. Um, now, you're going to see players begin to re-sign before then, right? So what I did was I pulled up the old transaction wire from the Packers last year. Now, it's backwards, okay? I'm going to drop this banner down real quick. It's backwards, so the bottom being what happened first, okay? So on January 3rd last year, tied in Austin Allen kicker Matt Amendola, were signed to the practice squad. January 10th, you had um, Austin Allen, Jeff Cotton, uh, Gene DeLance, quarterback Danny Etling. Uh, man, some of these names blast from the past here. <laughs> Tyrell Ford, Benji Franklin, Tyler Goodson, all these players, right? It said they were all signed. And I think that's what we refer to as the futures contracts. So keep that in mind. Those are kind of veteran minimum whatever, you know, however long they've been in the, in the league. Uh, so if that happened on January 10th, and obviously that hasn't happened up to this point because our season went a little longer this year, should be any day now, you'll probably be, see some signings like that, I would imagine. So once that drops, you got to fast forward all the way to March 15th, right? March 15th, 
is when Keyshawn Nixon and Tyler Davis resign. So you're looking at mid-March before we have a, a lot of real answers as far as these players we're talking about possibly bringing back. So got a little bit of time between now and then. That'll be plenty of time to start to jump into the draft talk, too. We'll find plenty of content in that regard. So just want to lay that out there because that's important. Now, before that, well before that, another date, and I don't think I got the screenshot, but I will look it up again, uh, Tim. One of the other dates that was really important to me that, that kind of popped up, we're talking about restructuring these contracts, right? You got some big ones out there. You've got David Bakhtiari, you got Aaron Jones. Those are the two biggest, right? If I were to top in – Aaron Jones's contract restructure, just to give us a timeline, right? Um, it looks like it happened February 17th is when that was updated. Now I'm going to cross-check it with another site here real quick. Aaron Jones contract, that said uh, that was actually done on April the 12th, so you probably got more details on it in that regard. I'm pretty sure it was in February when that happened. Um, yeah, February 17th. So another date you want to mark down, right around the 17th was when Aaron Jones's contract got restructured. So it may be until mid-February before we have answers on David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, and there's going to be others that get restructured as well. So wanted to mention that date because it's important to kind of understand the timeline. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, no, just, I agree totally. I mean, I'm glad you pulled that up. It's it's nice to have that laid out so we can kind of know what we're looking at. Um, kind of helps us when we're speculating <laughs> we can yeah. time our speculation with uh some some press releases and some announcements you know it's just like you know asking you about jordan you know how soon can we give jordan a whole truckload of money and it's you know not going to happen till may so uh we got to just be patient yeah uh let's see uh i don't know how to pronounce the name i should know it i apologize i'm just going to call you lee uh goot will trade up this year uh, you know i'm not opposed to trading up either to be honest with you, Lee, like the way I look at it, where do they rank on their draft board? You know, Goody made a, a comment last year and said, typically in the first three rounds, they're able to get a top 50 prospect. And that immediately he got roasted because when you look at what we've done in the third round, it's like, we might want to revisit that guys. Cause we have sucked in the third round. Now, Tucker's draft, whole different ball game, right? Look like you got one, look like you got you a dog there. So with that being said, if, if there's only one name left in that top 50 or that top tier, and I don't think their top tier goes top 50. I think that was Goody being the, the, the uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know if politician's the right word. I definitely don't want to put it in a negative light. But, you know, him being the guy that's trying to paint the best picture possible, rather than saying, yeah, well, we got a, we got a guy that was in our third tier, fourth tier of talent or third tier of talent. He said, oh, we got every, you know, all our first three rounds were our top 50. That may be within four or five tiers of talent. And what I mean by that is the way the draft board's set up. Let me let me do this real quick. It'll be hard to read, but I'm going to pull it up. This was my top 50 draft board last year. And just to kind of give you an idea, <clears throat> if you look in the D column, that's uh, that's actually the grade. Okay. And people are going negative. What are you talking about? So the lower the number, right, the better the grade for me. That's how I do my system. Don't ask how I got there. I've been doing this since – I don't know, roughly 2012, 2013, I started doing draft boards and it's evolved over the years. And this is just kind of how I approach it. But to put into put into perspective and explain a little bit more detail what I mean by tiers of talent, Jalen Carter and Bryce Young were in my top tier. It, it does it, I do it in, in increments of five points. Okay. So the top tier would be anyone in the negative. Okay. The second tier would be, you know, 0.1 positive, right? 
all the way to 4.9. That would be tier two. So in tier two, I only had two players, Will Anderson and Christian Gonzalez. Both turned out to be great players. Three of the top four have been great. Bryce Young, the jury's still out because he had just an absolute crap show around him. Now, he could be bad, right? He definitely didn't make situations better, but I think we would all agree that was a dumpster fire in Carolina. It all starts with the owner, too. Thank God we don't have an owner. So you've got two players in the top tier, two players in number in tier two, and then when you get to tier three, which would be – uh, you know, basically a, uh, a 5.1 or 5.0, I should say, all the way to 9.9. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, nine players in tier three. So you see how that tier gets a little bit broader, right? So you've got those nine players there. When the Packers picked, was Lucas Van Ness in that top three, right? So essentially, what you can do is look at the number on the far left column and go, okay, that's what that's the pick they're worthy of. Okay, that's the way I see that. If anything after that, you're kind of reaching a bit unless they're in that current tier of talent, if that makes sense. So like when you look at Lucas Van Ness, he was my 17th best prospect. Right. But that would have put him in the category or the uh, the tier that anyone 10.1 to 14.9 would be that current tier of talent. He was sitting at 13.6. Okay, so he was as good for the 14th overall pick, according to my draft board, if that makes sense. So did they reach? Maybe slightly, but it was just barely outside of that tier, right? When it comes to his grade of 13.6, he was worthy of that current tier of talent, in my opinion. So uh, let's say in this situation, like we're talking about, will Goot trade up this year? We're picking 25th, right? So if this was last year's draft and you looked at that, you would say, okay, um, as far as that current tier of talent, it would be that 26.6 Forbes all the way down to the 28.6 of Torrance. Any of those players would be worthy of it. If anything above that were to fall to him, then, hey, at some point you get to pick 17 and you're picking 25th, you get to pick 17 and you really like Lucas Van Ness and he's the last person in that current tier, then you might want to trade up and grab him, right? That's what it's going to come down to. How does board fall? Now, here's the other thing. We don't know what Goody's board looks like. We don't know – the Packers draft board, they may have they may look at this one and go, boy, this idiot doesn't have a clue. <laughs> right. So I'm not saying, hey, these were the best prospects. This was just the system I use. And it's just another, you know, when I when we do the live, live draft coverage here on the on the channel, you're gonna see me. I'm gonna have my draft board live so we can kind of cross them off as we go. And this isn't me watching the tape. You see the notes on the far right, Jalen Carter, hands down the best prospect, but look, legal issues, right? Bryce Young. You know, great prospect. What was the note, though? He's undersized, though, right? Look at Will Anderson. Little stiff, extremely high character, though, right? So these are just little notes. You're, if you didn't watch the tape, Clayton, you didn't study the prospects, how do you have those notes? It's people I trust, people like Greg Cosell, right? And I spend a lot of time just like this during draft season. Shut your mouth and listen to people who know what the heck they're talking about. Yep. And I'll make little notes along the way. So that makes sense. Um, notice Luke Musgrave there. When they took Luke Musgrave in the second round, I, I remember me and Ryan Schlitt being on the draft. And I looked back at the board and I'm like, this has got to be Musgrave. Got to be Musgrave. It just made too much sense. He was my 27th best prospect, and we took him in the second round. I don't even know what pick we took him in the second round. Do you remember, Tim, what the exact pick was? No, I do not. Okay. I know it was early second round, right? Our, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how that will fall into place there. I'm trying to see if I had Tucker Craft on this top list. I don't think I did. I think I had him a little bit lower. But uh, we definitely had uh, Luke Musgrave at 27th. 
Um, just trying to see if there was anyone else. I don't think there was. So Luke Musgrave and Lucas Van Ness, you see where they fell for me. We took Musgrave at 13. Um, you know, he was my 17th best prospect. Wasn't I wouldn't consider that a reach. That's really, really close to that tier. And then Luke Musgrave at 27, I was going, yes, <laughs> got him. Nailed so, it. Got him. Um, yeah, but that's just kind of hopefully that that I know it wasn't a question, Lee, but that kind of triggered in my mind. This might be a good time to kind of explain when I think it's okay to trade up is when you've got someone who's outside of that tier. So 42, we took Musgrave at 42. Bless some good value there, ain't it, man? Yeah, buddy. 27th best prospect, according to my board, at 42. That's exciting, man. That's really exciting. And you see Jalen Hyde at 33. When we went to pick Jaden Reed, you know, we were up, we were on the clock, and I went, oh, boy, we got Jalen Hyatt sitting there. Look at this. And notice Jaden Reed's not on this list anywhere, right? You don't see him anywhere. Right. We traded back, and I went, who are they trading who are they trading back? They, when when a team trade back like that, what they're saying is, we've got someone that no one else is on right now, that he's the best on our board at that time, hands down, top tier of talent. Now, you can pull the trigger and take him, or if you've got multiple, say you've got three in that same tier, right? Then you go, let's trade back a few picks, and chances are one of those three will still be there, and we'll take that'll make the decision for us. So they traded back once. I think they traded back twice. After the second time they traded back, I remember live on the stream. I need to pull it up and show the video. I went, who the hell are they on right now? Because <laughs> they feel comfortable that nobody's on this guy. It ended up being Jaden Reed. And I looked up and went, we had Jalen Hyde on the draft board, hands down way better than Jaden Reed, but immediately removed the ego. Right. Ego, no amigo. Goody knows draft evaluation better than me. Let's dig into Jaden Reed. I dug into it. You know what the answer was? 2022 tape, not that good. 2021, lots out. So this year on the draft board, I've been doing this since – I've been following the draft close since 2010, but been doing a draft board since 2012. I think it was 2012 is when I started. I'm adjusting the board this year and going, now I'm going to throw in a small factor into what they did two years before. So, for example – Last year, I just incorporated the 2022 tape. I didn't even look at the 2021 tape. This year, there's going to be an aspect to my grading system to put my final draft board together that's going to take the 2023 tape and the 2022 tape so that doesn't happen again. Now, some people were going, they were looking at me. I got made fun of for the Luke Musgrave being so high on my board, right? And they were like, well, why did why did you like him so much? I went back and watched the previous year tape because I had to because he was injured, right? So that was one thing it was like, how about that uh, 2023 tape on Jaden Reed? How are we feeling about that? <laughs> uh, and when I turned on the when when after they draft him, I did a chalk talk on him. You can find it right here on the channel. I did a Jaden Reed chalk talk. Yep. I went back and watched it. I went, this kid ain't a slot receiver. This kid can play anywhere. Like he he played Z as much as he did slot. At least the highlights that I watched. And man, he was stretching the field deep. And then you guys remember the Saints game that that great picture of him laid out making that diving catch. That was what he did at Michigan State all of 2021. He was running deep. He was You could see him running choice routes. He and the quarterback kind of got off the same page there in 2023. In 2022, I think it was the same quarterback. It could have been a different quarterback at Michigan State. But nonetheless, I'm adding that in this year. Yep. We're getting two years <laughs> saturation uh, put into the draft board for sure. So, um, anyway, that was uh, – 
that was probably the best time to break that down. We had a little bit of time to fill there just to kind of got, give you guys an idea of how I work the draft board and how I put my board together. There's no information on that board that suggests Clayton really likes this prospect. It's people who Clayton respects likes these prospects. Not the, I won't, I won't dog anybody. I won't mention the names of the people I don't like, but it's so important to get the information started. And I got to get on it today, actually, before the combine. We talked yeah. about the combine hitting in February because when the combine hits, though that information goes haywire because yeah. it's Here that comes the RAS numbers. Yeah. That guy, <laughs> and it's important. And you'll, it is. you'll notice it is. I put bonuses on my board, but I control how much stock goes into that. My board is more created toward what did they show on tape? Because to me, that's what's most important. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, these guys go nuts with the combine. Did you see the the way that guy stepped sideways in his underwear? Holy cow. Put him in the top ten. It's like. See how he runs in a straight line so well? Yeah, exactly. With no one trying to reroute him. (laughs) What we mean by that is there's no DBs up there bumping them, chucking them at 4.9 yards down the field, right? The maximum right within the rules, right? You see all these quarterbacks we brought in to throw balls to the receivers? Exactly. Man, look at the way these receivers catch the ball. (laughs) And listen, ask me if I watch the combine. It'll be right here on this TV the entire time. Oh, yeah. I'll watch every bit of it and it'll be on in the background. I'll have it. I'll be frying a steak up downstairs or, or doing something and it'll be on the background. I watch it too. It's just, I really, really, really control how much of that information goes in. Now, what you do have to do though, is go back and look at the history of Goody and how he drafts. I'm not in the business of p- predicting who the Packers are going to draft. I'm in the business of here's who I think are the best prospects. Let's see if it lines up with what they think. Yeah. But, you have to take in those athletic scores if you want to really try to predict what Goody does, especially especially in the first round. Yep. Um, Mano in the chat here, thank you for highlighting that, Tim. He says, you needed two years of tape for J-Love, too. Very good point, Mano. Um, I remember Ryan, when when they drafted Jordan Love, Ryan wasn't excited, right? And, and I remember feeling the same way, but I wasn't going back two years either. I remember thinking, man, he's kind of a turnover machine, this and that. And uh, – and obviously since then, Ryan's come around to Jay love just like I have. And uh, it's okay to be wrong. Yep. Ryan is way more correct than I am. You, I guarantee you, I will make 10 mistakes to his one when it comes to draft coverage. He's one of the best. I love following him in the draft um, all year long, but the draft is kind of one of those things you can tell he's passionate about to the point where his listeners get mad when he tries to talk about the draft in season. And I love how his response is, shut up. I'll talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> That's exactly what you said, what you talk about, though, when, you know, he's on that list of people we trust when it comes to the draft, right? Absolutely. Just like Jake Shavink is, is another go-to. You know, Absolutely. it's impossible, at, you know, to be one person and to try and pull all of this data and make it, make analysis. You have to lean on on people that you trust to do to do that. Yeah. Sure. Um. Let's see here. That being uh, said, uh, upper right-hand corner of your screen uh, over here, you can uh, check out the uh, Packernet podcast, scan that QR code, take you right there, and uh, you can find Ryan Schlipp and uh, Jake Shavink's content right there, the flagship Packernet podcast, take you right where you need to go. Make sure you uh, give them a follow, check out their content uh, while you're in the process of clicking that like button right here on our video too. So. Love it. Shameless plug. Had to throw that in there. Good no, timing. You did good. You did good. You, you're the bad guy now, Tim. I love it. Um, <laughs> Lee86 uh, says in the chat, you can tell a little bit of those wide receiver ball skills from some of those drills. Absolutely. They're important. They're important. 
Very important. Uh, same thing with the quarterbacks. You know, sometimes you go, well, he doesn't have the arm strength. I, I think arm strength is one of the one of the most overrated metrics in all of football, personally. Yep. And, and and I know that because if you set the same two quarterbacks down and go, hey, would you rather have this guy who can throw the ball 80 yards or would you rather have this guy who is extremely accurate? You know, that's the trade-off. I'm going with the accurate quarterback. How often do you see a quarterback have to throw the ball down 80 yards down the field, 70 yards down the field? And I'm being ex- I'm exaggerating a little bit on purpose for dramatic effect here, but how many times do you go, man, I'm glad we had that guy to drive that ball through triple coverage? When they're going back to the meeting room, they're going, hey, I don't want you trying to drive that ball into triple coverage, but I do want that quarterback that's going to get the ball out on time, quick release, accuracy, read the defense pre-snap, made the adjustments post-snap. That stuff's important. You know, way more important than arm strength. I don't think there's any quarterbacks in the league that we go, oh, that's a noodle arm. I just don't see it. I see yeah. I see quarterbacks that can make just about every single throw in the game. It's the ones who are accurate, play on time, and protect the football that win a lot of ball games. So. That shows how much the game has evolved, you know, because things like arm strength maybe 20, 25 years ago was, you know, probably held in higher regard than it is today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lee says, just a thought, are we a defensive coach away from a Super Bowl appearance instead of players? Um, I tend to lean towards uh, it's not that simple of an answer, Lee. It doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong or, or anyone else is wrong that disagrees. When I watch the tape, I don't find myself going, damn, we need a better coach. I find myself going, why is he not playing his assignment? Like he knows he's the only player on the field that is playing zone coverage and everyone else is playing man. Why is he not getting it? And then when you throw in, I won't say names, but when you throw into, you're probably going to figure it out. <laughs> when I throw into, he's getting paid a lot of money. He should know that's his assignment when a seventh round rookie is playing his assignment just fine. I don't put that on the coaches. For me, the coaches, and I know we're specifically talking about Joe Barry. Let's just put it out there, right? I think you can do better than Joe Barry at defensive coordinator. I believe that. But when when I watch the tape, I don't find myself going, man, this is bad play calling. I find myself going, this is bad execution. So you might want to dig a little bit deeper into position coaches, right? Now, who makes the decisions there? It's not Joe Barry. Joe Barry doesn't have free reign to bring in his position coaches. If you hire a Wink Martindale or someone, they probably will. That'll be in their contract that they look. I bring in my staff. I think Coach LaFleur likes having his finger on the pulse and going, I want this guy in that place, this guy in that place. He's a bit of a micromanager. And listen, had a great, great year. You know, his play calling, Tim, especially in the passing game. I didn't like his run, his run uh, scheme early in the year. You guys know I've, I was pretty vocal about that. I felt like that's why the running game struggled. We were trying to do too much too early. Um, and like Mike Wall slapped me on the wrist and said, Clayton, they can't even zone block right now. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, let's just try to figure that out first. But his passing game, Tim, good Lord. He's, I mean, he schemed up some gems this year, bro. That, that literally strike concept on the left. Drag a wide dragon wheel on the backside with a T screen mixed in off of play action. That, yeah, that defense was more confused than a fart in a fan factor. They didn't know what to do. They were going fake here, fake there. Why is that dude butt naked in the trailer park back here? What happened? They, they didn't have no clue, no answer. So I love Matt LaFleur's passing game this game. So, all right, we got to wrap it up. We're going, Tim. Parting thoughts, buddy. Huh? Take it. <laughs> That's all I got to say. No, I'll say this about Joe Barry, man, because, uh, you know, I'm the president of the Joe Barry fan club and everyone hates me for it. Um, me too. By the way, the first person I went up to and uh, said hello to and thanked him for a great season at the airport was uh, Joe Barry, in fact. Good. So, he needs that, bro. 
Yeah. And uh, if you want to talk about uh, play calling and you want to talk about uh, some improvement, I definitely think we saw, you know, Joe going up to the booth, calling the games from the booth, not the sideline. And I we saw an improvement, man. You know, we, we talk about passing game from the defensive side. Joe, Joe was in his bag this year a few times uh, down the stretch, and it really showed, like you said, when we had guys playing their, playing their assignments. And, yeah. you know, I'll reiterate the other point. This defense is set up to stop the explosive plays in the passing game. It is what it is. You're going to struggle. You can't have it both ways, man. You're, can't. If you, you can't. It just doesn't work that way. And I and will the, tell you, our, our run defense has – What's that? The, the opposite is Dallas. You see how we cut Dallas apart? Yep. They're the opposite approach. And stop the run. run, yeah. So, you know, and I think if you look at our run defense under Joe Barry, you know, it's not as atrocious as it has been in previous years. So you've seen a slight improvement there. Um, a lot of that comes to our, our guys in the front there in the trenches. And, um, again, we'll bring some new personnel in. We've, we've got a draft coming up. You know, I, I am. I'm a guy who believes that, uh, you know, Joe Barry deserves another crack at this. I really do. I think he's built something over these last three years that is finally now starting to click in some respects. And yeah, maybe we're another, we could be a year away from, from greatness and glory here um, with another good draft and some, you know, we talked about safety. We talked about uh, defensive front um, middle linebacker is another position that uh, we're going to be looking at. Um, we talked about, you know, losing JJ and Igbari. you know, he's probably going to be out of the mix well into the first quarter of the, of next season. You know, do we, do we bring another edge in? You know, there's a lot of different factors, but I think when it comes down to coordinator, man, if you if you pull the pin right now and that's it, um, you know, we are. I don't care what anybody says. You're you're setting yourself back a little bit when it comes to uh, overall scheme. And unless you're telling me you got someone coming in that's going to run the same concepts and I just don't see that happening. Yeah. And I don't see a bunch of first and second year and third year players just magically embracing an entire new system defensively and it it being wildly successful. So. You know, I always trust my gut. My gut's telling me, you know, I don't care if it's another year, one year deal or two year contract, you know, whatever. Give this guy another crack to uh, see if we can get over the hump with what we've built. So go ahead and uh, eviscerate me. Throw the hate in the comments. I welcome it. <laughs> Hire Joe Barry. That's my mantra. <laughs> and yes, I'll die on that hill. It's fine. And when you look at when you look at the 33rd team. And what they said, their their year-to-year data, what got worse for the Packers defense. Everything got better, but passing yards per game and the turnovers went down. I think I counted eight dropped interceptions this year. You don't expect to catch all of them, but that number is a lot more generous if they like Darnell Savage. Yeah. On the game Saturday night against the Niners, Joe Barry schemed up two slam dunk interceptions, and they were both dropped. One of them should have been a pick six. So, again, I know people hate hearing it, and I I really don't care because if people can just casually throw hate at players and coaches and other fans and they don't even watch the tape, then I welcome the hate for people that that refer to me as a tape head. I will gladly wear that that hat every single day because I would much rather go, here's what I mean by this, rather than be the fan that goes, well, I just don't – I disagree. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, don't like what, they don't say that about the coordinators, coaches, analysts, you know, the statisticians, all these people that diagnose tape to make decisions. Oh, but we're we're the bad guys as fans for doing it. It's right. kind of crazy to me. me the logic's just not there. Yeah. You're again, 
people can do what they want, but you're not going to climb in my mentions. You're not going to climb in my YouTube channel. You're not going to climb in my DMs and insult me for how I fan when I don't say a damn thing on yours, right? And that's how you will get cut out real quick. The old block button been hot here lately, and it's going to get hotter as long as people want to be rude and try to tell me how to fan. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to watch what happens on the field. And if that upsets people, hey, good luck to you. I hope you find the joy you're looking for in watching football. Because it sounds like you don't enjoy watching football. You just enjoy complaining about football. And at but, the end of the day, um, I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care. <laughs> let, me tell, right, let me tell you, we don't care. Exactly. So I uh, want to give a special thanks to Josh Martin. Thank you for the super chat, buddy. You are awesome. We appreciate you supporting the stream, man. Um, we'll be back tonight for PTA Live. We'll continue this conversation. What I want to point out, past coverage was the only thing. That dropped, essentially. Uh, according to 33rd team, total points per game um, with their grading system went from 7.6 down to 5.7. I wonder why. More man coverage, just saying. Um, so the people what they want. That's what, it'll, that's what it'll get you. There you go. Now, when you go to PFF side, run defense and tackle grade, right? Run defense, 61.3. Tackle grade, 58.9. Sorry, the, the defensive coordinator cannot tackle for them. Right. Yeah. That, that tackle grade says a lot. If that tackle grade is in the 70s, your run defense goes up tremendously. You've seen it. You've seen it the other night. Devontae White busts through the line like he always does, grabs the running back two yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he just slides right off of him. It's like that is not on our coaches, not even the position coaches. Like right. these guys need to know how to tackle. You get to the NFL, I'm pretty sure you know how to tackle to a certain extent. Should it be refined? Absolutely. But Joe Barry shouldn't wake up tomorrow and go, oh, okay, guys. I got to figure out how to get these guys to tackle. And again, what we talk about, that player that missed that tackle, Devontae White, first round pick. I was big on him because he's a pass rush machine, right? And I'm like, if you can teach him to play run defense, he is going to be great defensive lineman at the NFL level. Now, how RAS, right? Maybe that has to do with uh, you take him a, a little bit, you know, ahead of where you should have, but his pass, I mean, he's one of the best pass rushing interior defensive line in the league. There's no doubt about it. So um, it's hard to argue with that. That was what this roster was built to do, right? Um, and it, just like Tim said a second ago, and, and what we talk about all the time on Chalk Talk, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, okay, let's stop this and that. When you draft a player, they're, they, they're few and far between. They're like Aaron Donald. They can do everything perfect. That's a generational talent. So typically you're choosing really good run defender, really good pass defender, right, or pass rusher. Now let's try to make them the best player they can be. That's one thing that the coaches have failed at, is I don't think they pulled everything out of these first-round picks. But at the same time, we're not even allowed to question whether they're a good first-round pick. That bothers me because there are no slam-dunk first-round picks. So Fern right. in the chat says, I'm with you, Tim. Barry, not as bad as everyone says. That's perfectly said, Fern. I think I we found can- someone that's on my side. I love it. I, I think we could do better at D.C. I think Tim thinks we could do better at D.C. But this sure. idea that we're just going to he's the problem, get rid of him, and everything's fixed, I think it's just a, a false narrative. I really do. So okay. that being said, again, Josh Martin, thank you for the super chat, buddy. We're out of here, guys. Thank you all for hanging out with us. This was a fun conversation. I'm telling you, Tim, we're not going to have a problem having topics to talk about, dude. We're going over every episode. We got it. I got it. I've got to rein it in and keep it under an hour. That's the goal. So appreciate everybody hanging out. We will see you guys tonight for PTA Live. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go.